this is White Scar's Team Up. Going back in time a little bit here in our own conversation, was the fact that Back in Time Plus Space is meant to be an homage to Back to the Future a help or a hindrance in regards to shaping the story around the rules that you were building? I don't know that it was either, um, because... We ended up like, as I've mentioned before, like I, to your point, what we I mentioned earlier in this show, in this episode, the time travel rules of the Back to the Future universe don't really hold up to scrutiny. And mm. especially in Back to the Future 2, which is this is clearly an homage to the Back to the Future 2, where, you know, Marty goes back through the first movie essentially mm -hmm. and acts in you know see we see the first movie play out in the background of the second one um and this is very much the same thing you know doc and charlie are jumping through different pieces and reliving parts of the original movie but because we were focused on you know one telling a good story and you know two making the time travel within that story consistent so that people weren't pulled out going, wait a minute, that doesn't make a lot of sense. We kind of just used the foundation of, like you said, of Back to the Future 2. And obviously the homage is is blatantly obvious in the first <laughs> in the first chapter. He's recreating mm. the first scene almost frame by frame. And, you know, with a little tongue in cheek, like, oh, I know exactly what you're doing because <laughs> the the nickelback universe where Charlie and Doc are from is a universe in which the Back to the Future movies exist. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're very specifically a motivating theme for more than one character in the story. Right, exactly. And so they're, they lampshade the fact that, like, oh, this is just a Back to the Future 2 homage. Like, where did you get all of these stupid clocks, Doc? And <laughs> why do you have them? We don't even have a dog. <laughs> Charlie is such a perfect presence in that scene, because if you open that and you're a bit like, really, we're just doing Back to the Future, you immediately have a character who picks up the phone and goes, really, we're just doing Back to the Future. And it's, so it's just like, oh, OK, a thought is immediately addressed in the book itself. Mm -hmm. We also have sort of the generational difference where, mm. you know, Back to the Future is foundationally important to doc to to edward but it's it's a, a a quaint thing from charlie's mom's childhood right or from from you know from her friend's childhood in in the case not mm. from not from charlie's mom because mm. abigail didn't experience that but it's to me it felt very similar to when i sat my kids down to watch bill and ted's excellent adventure and you know, this thing that, again, I watched a hundred times growing up and is foundationally important to me and is, you know, I have huge nostalgia for and watched it with the kids. And I was like, what'd you think? And they were like, yeah, it was fun. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah. it, does, it doesn't have that same weight mm. to mm. them. Something and, that blew your mind when you were a kid is old hat now to the point where they even lampshade it in modern movies. Tom right. Holland's Spider-Man going, hey, you remember that really old movie, Vampire <laughs> Strikes Back? Yeah, exactly. But so it, it felt very, you know, hearing, having Charlie be like, really, we're just doing this old movie? Mm -hmm. um, it felt very similar to, like I said, having my, my kids interact with the time travel stories of, of my youth. Mm. And that right there is also somewhat that like personal time travel difference because you're seeing for one character, Back to the Future never stopped being a sort of presence in their lives because mm -hmm. it was just so influential to their personality, their creativity, everything about them. And for the other character, it's something that they half remember from years ago that's like, I, I haven't watched this thing recently. It's like right. you're drawing from memories. So mm -hmm. those are two different like relative timelines where for one person, it continues to be their present, whereas the other person, it's something from the past. So... Mm -hmm. I I do like that as just 
time travel and differences in perspective on time informs so much of this book from in a foundational level. Yeah, and I, I don't want to speak for Alex, but I imagine that his experience with Willow was very was very similar to my experience with my kids. I think Alex has talked about how, you know, Charlie is loosely based on Willow mm. and how they helped shape the Charlie character a lot. Mm. And uh, Alex consulted them quite a bit when talking mm. about like when trying to, you know, get that character right and to mm. say, like, how would this character react? How would Charlie react in, in this mm. scenario? Skeleton gloves, man. <laughs> <laughs> Those gloves are great. I'm usually less inclined to put in a lot of editorial inserts into White Scar's team-up, because it's mainly meant to be about the interviewee, rather than my thoughts or Toby's thoughts, on a book or topic. But because it's relevant to future interviews, I find myself pensive about finally sitting down with Willow. Obviously, a huge part and parcel is the fact that, even by the time Panther Soul comes out, I'm a 45-year-old man interviewing a teenager, and there's a lot of understandable trepidation about that. But even more, the characters of Leah in Panther Soul and Charlie in Back in Time Plus Space were not only written with Willow in mind to voice them. As Jesse just alluded to, Charlie's experience was fleshed out with Willow's experience of coming out and externalizing their non-binary nature. As someone that took a long time to understand my own changing sexuality, I can understand certain aspects of the LGBTQ experience. But the idea of talking with Willow about how the change is metaphorically expressed, going from playing an ostensibly cis female in Panther Soul to an explicitly gender-fluid character in Back in Time Plus Space, I have to admit, I am not sure of my footing and think that I may have to reach out to NB adults to make sure that I treat Willow with the proper sensitivity. And yes, I realize that I'm collapsing the waveform by discussing this explicitly, since the entire Shaw family is going to hear my musings on the subject. But that's how I roll, externalizing my own internal thoughts to process them better. And it may not hurt to have these thoughts in the heads of the relevant people, long before the time comes for me to actually have the conversation. Was there a challenging part of making the science, making the outline of it all work? Was it just a matter of working with all of the content you'd been putting together all these months for Recorded Tomorrow, or did this story have unique challenges you had to overcome? It was a bit unique in the sense of, again, the fact that we were dealing with both time travel and universal travel, because mm -hmm. you have these two characters, Charlie and Doc, who are from a different reality, mm -hmm. making changes in this one, and then those changes rippling off and having other events, having other ramifications throughout the multiverse, because the characters that they have now interacted with have the potential to, you know, travel between universes, between realities. That was an added wrinkle because it's, it's two, two problems folded onto each other um, mm -hmm. where, you know, we now have to, not only do we have to keep, we're not just keeping one timeline straight. We're effectively keeping three timelines straight mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of the different changes that, because the changes that Charlie make to this timeline can affect the characters who travel to other like to to other universes and then it would affect those timelines potentially too we only really can you know, touch on that once at the end but it was something that we had to be very cognizant of the whole time also the techno babble was a lot of fun to come up with <laughs> <laughs> Were you tempted to slip in a reverse the polarity of the neutron flow at any point? <laughs> no. Short answer is no. We, we <laughs> did not have to worry about that. When I was coming up with the techno babble, I was trying to find words that were loosely based on real scientific concepts, 
you know, think things like, you know, kinestatic barrier and the, you know, risk of a Kugelblitz black hole and stuff like that. Oh, and I think my my favorite one was the uh, quantum signature, uh, <laughs> qu quantum signature alignment, which was one of the things that Alex was one of the first questions he had. The first issues or problems that he asked me about was like, how do we align or guarantee like how do we use the time orb to dial in with precision or not the time orb, but the space orb to dial in with precision to what universe we're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing of that is that Alex had already solved that problem unwittingly. Mm -hmm. The the fact that each of the wind doors is a slightly different color is mm -hmm. something that I that I was able to grab onto and say, like, well, no, you've already got this because your universes all have, let's call it a quantum signature that is slightly unique. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're that's why Abigail can see different, like slightly different colors because she's picking up on that, you know, that quantum aura or whatever. I'm trying to remember what I actually called it. It was like mm -hmm. the, the quantic quantum chromatic signature or something like that. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how much Star Trek Alex is familiar with. Since in the past, he's talked about how he got into it through the Kelvin movies rather than the 90s TV shows. And a lot of toxic Star Trek discourse turned him off discussing or even looking at more Star Trek in general. But the idea of the quantum signature is very Next Generation slash DS9, which had a lot of plots involving either time travel, time loops, or parallel dimensions. I suspect that's where Jesse might have got it from, since he was talking about using ideas based on actual scientific principles. And even though it's all theoretical, as a lot of science regarding quantum mechanics is, the idea of different dimensions having a unique resonance that could qualify as a quote-unquote signature is a potential extrapolation of the theoretical framework known as string theory. And now before my head goes completely up my ass, let me return you to our interview. You know, so we just have this the 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 orb we can it can read that really carefully and we can just you know have a dial that that can read the you know th that can dial in on exactly what we're looking for you know and and that problem is just solved then that's actually mm. an interesting way to frame it in a visual conceptual medium because as someone that works with printers i do know that there are a finite number of different variables on the RGB or CMYK spectrum in terms of individual notable colors, but there's a lot of them. And so one could almost think of it as close to being infinite in terms of you can use color to denote a specific alternate universe in a multiverse. Yeah, exactly. And the idea that, you know, one color, like one universe in this other universe, their aura is almost the same color. It's just a different mm -hmm. shade. Well, that might imply that they are more recently diverged, right? Mm -hmm. that those two universes are very similar. There are only just minor changes between the two. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm curious about this. I, this is shot in the dark, but uh, do either of you read Order of the Stick? Yes. I, think I read probably... Order of the Stick a decade ago. I am not caught up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there is a, without necessarily getting to spoiler territory, it becomes very important, this whole like idea of colors being associated with different essences of like time and space, and they refer to it as a quiddity or like the essence. And at one point, it's just kind of gone into that you essentially need to add more colors to the box that you are mm -hmm. trying to actually get in touch with more sort of signatures of reality to kind of strengthen something. And I like that idea because it's a very fundamental way of, like, if you're dealing with quantum science or, like, fictional quantum science, it can be difficult to visualize it. But if you boil it down to just colors on a spectrum, that helps you to say that, okay, this whole universe and this other universe are represented as yellow and green. And I think that I'm 
looking forward to seeing more stories that kind of tap into that maybe there's a very basic element to all of that is saying diversity is good (laughs) (laughs) there you go (laughs) just briefly i think it's hilarious that toby brought up order of the stick because one of the running gags is that one of the antagonists has a whole rant about how the four elements of myth are not actually elements in the modern physics sense And therefore, instead of summoning elementals of fire or water, he uses his noggin and summons titanium elementals and chlorine elementals. But there is a reason why the four elements are an idea that both ancient myth and modern storytelling keep coming back to. There is a wealth of symbolism that can be attributed to such a basic view of the universe. And it seems clear that even the author of Order of the Stick understands that when he uses colors to represent fundamental building blocks of his world. So now I'm going to go way back in time here, Jesse, Mm -hmm. because one of the things that we skipped over in the process, and I'm surprised you didn't bring up when I started asking you about your history with Alex is that your introduction into the world of New Century did not begin with this book. We were hearing you (laughs) all the way back in Arlington. Yep. The Little Voice by a man named Bishop Jebediah Miller. Oh, yes, I (laughs) forgot about that. And a good day to you, sir. Thank you for granting me an audience. Mm. Your people made contact with the... Holmes' old order recently, as they were passing by our land. We were asked to join in with the rebuilding of America, and despite you and your kind being outsiders, many of us are sympathetic to your cause. I'm glad to hear. It appears practical and morally upright. And while we intend to remain unspotted from your world, and keep ourselves separate from its wickedness, we do see the value in a grand effort, everybody pitching in and working hard. Music to my ears. Yeah. Oh no, he's in the room! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was Why do you have a microphone? (laughs) (laughs) We, uh... Yeah, I so I did do a little bit of voice work for Arlington. Uh, I I voiced that guy, at the and then I also did a like one of the soldiers, just a really mm. bit part. Um, well, we have you did actually several parts. So I have a list. Uh, it, yeah, you it includes one of the snipers in one of the chapters, Bryant, a character called Bryant, and mm-hmm. Sergeant Arnold Powell, who was. Frederick Douglass's bodyguard and trusted man in one of the chapters. So you actually had a, like, maybe it felt like they were maybe like one character, but it was actually a number of bit parts. Oh, that's true. I do know that Alex sometimes likes to like, okay, if I'm going to have you for a larger bit, we're going to warm up with a few smaller bits to see Mm -hmm. how you Mm -hmm. work with that. So that might have, some of those smaller parts might have been Jesse's warm up in there, but. I'm mostly curious about when you were pulled in specifically to because Thomas Arlington has an extended conversation with Bishop Miller. Yeah, it was it just a casting call and you came up with a voice for this one particular character that Alex liked. And if so, mm-hmm. where did you pull that voice from? Because it sounds <laughs> nothing like you. No. Uh, so that was specifically after I had done, I had been a guest on the show a couple of times, you know, just getting started on ramping up Arlington. And I had just told him, I was like, Hey, you know, if you need a, an extra like voice actor, I would love to give that a shot and, and try it out. And he says, all right, well, as it happens, um, how are you with accents? And I'm like, I mean, I'm I'm pretty okay. And he says, can you do Amish? <laughs> and I was like, sure, yeah. So I did, a, I actually ended up doing a bunch of research on what the Amish talk sounds like, because most of my Amish exposure is through, you know, through media, through television depictions of the mm. Amish. And I didn't want to be a, a TV Amish. I wanted to try to be an, and you know, try to be as authentic as possible. 
Of course, the problem is that they don't exactly put out a lot of material or recordings themselves. Uh, right. Like... But there are like there are documentaries, like there are actual mm. like documentaries where they they mm. bring in camera crews and have conversations with Amish folks. And it came down to like what I was able to find is that it was it was less about the accent, which is a you know pretty typical like somewhere between Maine and Pennsylvania mm. accent. But it was more about the cadence. The thing that I was taking away with all of these interviews is that they're very it was very like slow and measured and mm. like measuring the words very, very carefully. I actually felt really bad about that voice session because I recorded one that was really good, I thought. And Alex thought too, but it was like where the accent was really good and the performance was really good. I hadn't set up like my audio. I hadn't gotten my audio figured out yet. And I had a slightly less like a, a, a not quite as good of a microphone. And I was recording like in my laundry room. So there was this there was like this nasty echo that he couldn't use. He was like, I can't. Uh. I tried to get this out. I couldn't. I can't do it. So. I had to go re-record that whole thing and the what I ended up I I don't feel like that performance was as strong but he ended up having to use it because it was the one that had good quality but mm -hmm. even the cadence the the slowness that I ended up he said he said that he actually even had to he had to speed me up because it was just it was it was infuri like the point was that he was that this character was supposed to be infuriating Thomas with his indignance and his slowness and his you know patience but it was infuriating Alex to try to listen to it. So he's like, he's like, I had to, I had to speed it up. It was, mm -hmm. it was, it was great, but it was too yeah. much. Uh, talk about like, you know, the production then mirroring the actual fictional scene, because it really is a case of Thomas being voiced by Alex and he's sitting and listening to you and just getting that. Yep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Basically the equivalent, like, if it if he had to speed it up even more than it was, then you must have been talking like an ent. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was very entish. It was, if I can, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember, it was like, I don't think I will do that. <laughs> and, like, you know, the, 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 it was like, and what was, what was this argument over that you shunned these people with? The proper diameter of a working man's hat. And he's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like trying to facilitate a conversation between Morden Solis from Mass Effect and Treebeard. It's just like, yeah. this, this pace is not going to work, is it? <laughs> nope. So I think we... I did already cover that uh, you had done multiple other parts in Arlington. And when you went in, did you go in knowing that you were going to be contributing to these other parts? Or did it come as a surprise that you suddenly had like more characters than just the, you know, the one that you came to the table for, the Amish character that you would get to put your own spin on? It was a bit of a surprise. It was more like I came in to do the Amish character and then he was all he also said Alex was like, so I right now, like all of my voices are Southern and we're in he's like, we're in New York we're, or we're in Boston or something like that. Well, actually, the story primarily takes place in the District of Columbia. Seriously, though, I can understand Alex's point about wanting to have some more northern accents, seeing as D.C. should just as likely have people from the northwest states, which is why Sean Riley works so well as being a teacher from Boston. But I digress. You know, I'd, I'd like to get a little bit of diversity into, you know, into the accents and everything. You know, can you do like a weak Boston accent for just a couple of lines? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's no problem. Boston's easy. <laughs> I say to somebody who lives in Massachusetts. See, that's the thing is that I am not a good I'm not a good judge of these things because I have lived in Massachusetts all my life. But due to the unique properties of where I have lived, there is not a hint of the uh, Southie accent in my makeup. <laughs> Neither my mom or my father were native to Boston themselves, you see. Dad grew up in Mexico and moved to Boston in his 20s. And even though my mother's mother did have an Irish background and a similar accent, Mom came from north of the border in New Hampshire, 
and her voice also did not have a quality anything like the unique blend that compromises Southie. I also don't remember my peers having anything of that accent, so the first time I learned it was even a thing was well into being an adult. I could do my best to imitate the Boston accent, but that's all it would ever be. An imitation. I would have to, like, listen to Bob or Chris talk right. in order to imitate slash incorporate that into whatever. And I only know some of the local idioms specifically because of people gently poking fun at, you know, the, the wicked piss and you can't park the car from here. From here. Right. Smart park. <laughs> <laughs> Look who's got smart park. Smart park? Just hit the clicker. Car packs itself. It's smart. It's wicked smart. And I can pack it anywhere. How about Dorchester? Packed it. Foxborough. Packed it. The garden? Packed it. Saugus? Packed it. Swampscott? Revere? The harbor? Are you kidding me? I packed it and then unpacked it. So yeah, don't don't worry I'm, about I'm not that, going that, to join that. into this uh, session because like <laughs> mine will be embarrassing. Now, obviously the audio drama for Back in Time Plus Space is a long way off. Sure. A Alex is already, after he's done putting out Stone Spring Maidens, he said that his plan was to take a break to remaster Princess Thieves before moving on to Panther Soul, then Nightfall of the Wendigo, then finally back in time plus space. So given that it's far enough away in the future before he would even start collecting the voice acting for the audio drama version of this book. Has there been any discussion or do you have any desire at all to play small or large roles in the audio drama for Back in Time Plus Space? Uh, I mean, I'd love to come back and do some voice. I'm like thinking through it. I, I thought about this while we were while he was writing it and sending things as to like, are there any characters in here that I would, you know, that I would want to voice. And I think at this point it would have to be it just a bit part, just an un mm -hmm. like a, an unnamed background voice, uh, given that most of the characters in the book that are, have large speaking roles are either already spoken for mm -hmm. or are not a white dude. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, I would not feel comfortable taking a role that was meant for that, that taking the role of a character who was a person of color or a trans person, you know, or, or anything like that, just because there are too few of those roles to begin with. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and given that, like I said, most of the characters, the most of the new characters being introduced in this story are more diverse. I would, probably if i were to come back and do some more voice acting i would want it to just be background characters that don't have any of the big parts i mean there's as i as i mentioned there are three entire books coming up so there's potentially more than one opportunity Absolutely. i just know that with how how you have your own creative work to focus on in addition to being a parent and all of the work that you're doing in your professional life whether that is something you would have the time not to mention the inclination to integrate into you know everything else that you have going on mm -hmm. yeah and back to that point i would like i said i would love to give it a go most of the characters that i like the voices that i've done for alex in the past have not been particularly directed in terms mm -hmm. of like i know when he like when he works with any of the big players like theo or Maya or anything like that it's usually over a Skype call where mm -hmm. like they'll be going over their lines and and he'll be directing them and mm -hmm. for the smaller for the smaller parts like this it's not really like that it's mm -hmm. usually like here's your script I record it send it to him and he'll either be like yes that's awesome or can you do it again with just a little bit of feedback so something like that is to me a lot easier to work into my own schedule because it's something that like I can do at 1130 at night after everybody's gone to bed <laughs> or as an example, I wouldn't want to do this because again, not a white dude, but if he were to cast me to play doc, um, mm -hmm. that would be 
a much bigger time commitment and a much bigger scheduling commitment than I think I'd be comfortable for. But yeah. if it was if it was something like, you know, here's a page of scripts. Can you do this and get it back to me in a week or something like that? That is something I would jump at the chance to do again. Mm-hmm. Mm. And because we were talking about further contributions to Alex's creative works, this naturally led us to wanting to ask about Jesse's own personal inclinations in that area. There's a few episodes recorded tomorrow that I need to catch up on, not to mention so much more content with all the people within the Fireside <laughs> Alliance. That's just like, yeah. there's just there's just not enough hours of the day. There and really I'm, one aren't. Of the, I'm one of the few people that has more time than most because I don't have a whole lot of other things going on in my life. It's one of the reasons why I've been able to devote as much time to getting through the window right as I have from an editing perspective and and getting Toby in to record and getting other people in to record as well. Mm -hmm. But one of the last things that you did was specifically writing your own time travel short story. And so I'm curious if doing this work with Alex has influenced any potential fiction that you might be going forward with either just in writing or voice acting maybe as being additional (laughs) content for recorded tomorrow uh yeah i would say it has to like alex's process is pretty fascinating in terms of like how he goes about writing a book and having like the close collaboration that i had with him on back in time plus space and just the insight into where things are coming from it definitely informs my own writing and you know i have i do have plans for both of the short stories that i published on the recorded tomorrow feed i view them as like first chapters in mm. a larger short story mm. and i have a couple like two or three other chapters for both of those two already planned out that i'd like mm. to try and implement and i think that Alex's process is probably going to rub off on me a bit. And obviously, any of those short stories that I write or continue on to will be recorded and put up on the feed as well, the same way that the the two that are up there already were. For the most recent one that I did, uh, which is called The Life That I Can Save, I actually brought my wife in, my wife Ariel, to do mm. one of the voices. So it was mm. rather than just me narrating because Mm -hmm. one of the primary characters was a woman i was like "Eh, you know i i could do all this but i'd rather you know bring something in have a have a little bit Mm -hmm. more more of an interesting actual cast so i had my wife record her lines and spice all those in and 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 that seems to have worked pretty well and she had a good time with it so i think she'll come back and do more yeah (laughs) i could probably convince her that sounds really exciting. I was just about to ask because the fact that you have been writing short stories, I was thinking, oh, would you ever consider sort of making them into a audio format? And then you answered that question immediately. So that's <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Both of the two, the two short stories that I wrote, which again are really short, they're more like mm. they're more like a chapter in each one. There was one that was called the party, and mm. that one I wrote, and then I recorded it i narrated it and published Mm. it on the recorded tomorrow feed along with the transcript Mm. of the story and then did the same thing again with the life that i can save and Mm. this time i did i wanted to try to bring that into more of a like let's see if i can make this more of an audio drama as opposed Mm. to just me narrating the story that i wrote so uh yeah i i absolutely do plan on continuing that for the rest of those for the continuation of those stories this is where I tip my hand because I think that uh, I definitely need to be listening to more of not only your own uh, short stories, but your podcast to see this would probably answer my next question because this has to have been something that has come up. What is your favorite method of time travel like in fiction and the one you would absolutely want to use if you could do it yourself? Yeah, Um my <laughs> so my favorite time travel method is and I, I have answered this question before, but my favorite mm-hmm. one is the Bill and Ted style, um, the what we call fixed thread, where mm-hmm. the when you go back, you're not actually changing things because it's all one timeline that has already mm-hmm. happened. And you're just you're really more shifting perspective. I like that one first off because in my mind, I feel like that's probably how things would actually work if it were mm. possible. 
but two, because it, it gives you the ability, it, it gives you the idea of, I guess it shifts focus from changing things to doing more. And mm, my participating. Right. My my problem in life is always that there's never enough time to do all the things that need to be done. So mm. being able to like repeat every day or, mm. you know, to to go back and do one thing and then, you know, to, to do something and then go back and mm. do something else at the same time is very appealing, along with the idea of, like I said, the the Bill and Ted style thing, like I need to get past this problem. How about I just figure it out in the future? I'm going to I'm going right. to I'm going to push this problem off to future Jesse and <laughs> let uh, let him solve it and then come back and and do it for me. And mm. I, I like the idea of offloading my problems to the future in a way that is more stable and more uh, more concrete than just procrastinating. Yeah. And yeah, getting that <laughs> just not doing the thing because future Jesse's going to take care of it. <laughs> getting that immediate feedback that confirms, oh, great, I actually did follow through on that thing that I'm planning to do. It's that mm -hmm. something that would be amazing to have and would get abused within five minutes of knowing that it was oh, possible. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Um, to me, I think that if I had time travel, just my first experiment would be, okay, so at a point where we can actually go to the cinemas again and then like feel like comfortable with it, I would go, okay, there's this many films on. I'm going to make sure that there there is a Toby in every screen, <laughs> just like, and then afterwards we all get together and just discuss like how it was. Although that would be a nightmare, I would have that conversation probably 10 times by the time I was done with it. Also, the way you go on, Toby, it would take you forever for 10 Tobys to discuss it because they'd all be discussing it and, and then like <laughs> trying to figure it out. Right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just poking fun at you because I know how <laughs> I go on as well. So it's not like we, we each have our own thing about sometimes circling <laughs> yeah exactly we used to have our own issues about circling around a topic until we figure out exactly the right mm. words to explain what's going on in our own heads mm. so toby i have a homework assignment for you oh uh, yeah there is a comic book called paradox girl mm. i love that it I think that that I think that you would enjoy and I think you should track down and try to read it is a it, it's a superhero comic um but her superhero power her superpower is that type of time travel that we're talking right. about where she can mm -hmm. go back in time and make things happen and uh first like the way that it's illustrated is just brilliant and wonderful mm -hmm. um but also because it's uh, fixed thread time travel and you have multiple, what you end up with is you end up with, you know, a, at some point, a dozen versions of this character mm. in the scene at the same time. And mm -hmm. you end up seeing some of these scenes replayed or revisited from different perspectives. And oh, uh, it's it's a lot of fun. So, that, yeah, that sounds exactly up my alley. Yeah. And. <laughs> Like the last question is probably the first question that anyone asks about time travel. What are we taking here? DeLorean, phone booth, uh, TARDIS? Like, what's our mode like, of travel? Yes. Or just leaping like in Girl Who Leapt Through Time? Like, that's my answer. <laughs> I just want to like roll into rooms like I'm inside <laughs> the hedgehog. I feel like I would have to go with the TARDIS just because it's not only the not only the ability to travel through time and space, but mm -hmm. also the the idea of it being bigger on the inside and having oh, yeah. like being able to have, you know, just this little tiny space in the outside world and then go inside and actually have it be this huge area. It makes me feel less cramped than Bill and Ted, where you yeah, have oh, yeah. suddenly fit like eight or nine people into the mm. tiny space of an actual phone booth. Mm. Right. <laughs> I will I will hold my hand up and confess that the idea of the TARDIS has essentially been my like sort of mind palace slash mental space that I will retreat to if I think yep. of like I just need to go into a space that feels like I can just step out of time or space for a moment and just kind of think and assess things it's always yeah. how i visualize self-reflection so 
that is probably why the TARDIS is my favourite method of time travel, because it represents a very comforting idea of not just the idea to go to different places and be able to do all of the liberties that time travel comes with, but the idea of being able to just step out of time for a moment is probably the appeal of that. Yeah, absolutely. Jesse, this has been great. I It's been a mm. while since we've had somebody else to talk to in comparison to... <laughs> I mean, it's been a while since Toby and I even had a recording session. So when we recorded mm. last weekend, it was like, it feels like it's been a month since we've talked. How are you? Let's just talk for an hour. Right. There, exactly. we there were tears. The it, was, it got emotional. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I just I missed you so much. Not even. That, that was, it was exactly that. <laughs> As you're one of the first people that we've had on that is a content creator outside of New Century, I would like to give you this opportunity to, you You, you did uh, mention a couple of things along the way, but let's give this a little bit of a showcase right now on what future stuff you have coming up in terms of your creative stuff, either solo or with other people. Uh, yeah, so I, as you mentioned, I have my own podcast that is kind of on a hiatus, but it will be coming back soon. It's called Recorded Tomorrow, and my friend Jonathan and I talk about time travel in stories and how to utilize that in a way that doesn't pull people out and uh, sort of pitfalls to avoid and tricks and tips to employ to make sure that your time travel stories are uh, as as consistent and flow as well as possible. Uh, I'm also a pretty frequent collaborator on the School of Movies podcast, as mentioned, uh, and along with the over one of our other fire, fireside allies uh, called Montressor Media has a show called The Film Rescue Show. I'm pretty frequent collaborator on there as well. So you'll see if you go back through their feed, you'll see uh, quite a few episodes where uh, I'm on fixing uh, at one point, I did a rescue of Back to the Future 2, uh, mm. which was actually my first appearance on that show. And uh, yeah, there are several others, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Is there something specifically in the next coming weeks and months that you can uh, give us hints at? I mean, I'm, spoiling a piece of media is one thing, but like sure. I think you, you referenced that there is some stuff that's going to be coming out soon that you uh, participated in. Uh, stuff that's going to be coming out soon that I've participated in. Uh, aside from my own show, I'm not sure about that. Like I said, I've had, we're going to be, we're setting up, we're scheduling a, we're, we're working on scheduling to get a Loki show mm -hmm. up and off the ground and recorded. Uh, I have an interview with Spiros Mihalakis that we're going to publish here soon, as soon as I get it updated. Uh, that's, ah. he's the... He's the uh, he's a quantum physicist and a uh, film consultant for mm -hmm. uh, he wow. actually he actually consulted on Bill and Ted face the music and on Avengers Endgame and on a lot of actually MCU stuff. So he mm -hmm. he dealt with like he consulted on Ant-Man and mm. uh, and and all of that. And his interview is is fascinating. We unfortunately mm. lost the second half. So it's only <gasps> going to be it's only going to be the mm. like, how did you get here mm. type of questions? We don't actually have the let's dig into the time travel stuff questions. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's still it's a it's a great interview. Uh, we he, he was on as a guest for our Bill and Ted Face the Music episode. And he is a fascinating, joyous presence. So I would recommend if you want to look at something from my show that is a lot of fun seek that one out because it mm -hmm. was it was great Jesse, yeah thank no. you so much for coming on here this has been amazing happy to be here it's been a lot of fun absolutely oh well i don't necessarily know what's going to come next in terms of any future collaborations that through the window is going to be doing with our fellow content creators on Farside alliance it, to be perfectly honest in comparison with the stuff that other people put out there, ours is very narrowly focused. But I'm always open to any future possibilities. I always just love having conversations with fellow geeks, 
that think too much about the kinds of things that we think too much about. So that's the unifying uh, factor. We all think yeah. far too much about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Jesse, you have a great day. It's getting a little bit later here for me and it's, well, it's getting really late for Toby, but <laughs> I think you, Toby, you would have already have had dinner at this point. I had a sandwich at four o'clock in the afternoon, so oh, I will probably oh, okay. get a bite to eat after this, but I have been fine, I assure you. All right. Well, fair enough. But you should definitely get some more nutrition. And Indeed. you've got ribs coming up, Jesse. So <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. This has been a blast. And uh, yeah, we should we should do it again. I should get you two back on our show somehow. We'll, we'll figure I, something out totally yeah any doctor who stuff i can probably come on there i haven't seen some of the latest seasons but there was at one point when the 50th anniversary was happening i made a project on my blog at the time to just go back and watch all of the old mm -hmm. episodes and just oh, sort nice. of compare the various doctors and at the time i thought oh well, it'll be easy i get to do a sort of list of the best doctors and by the end of it i was like fuck that they're all good like that's <laughs> like that's basically the uh, conclusion i had and it's like but let's do an arbitrary list where i say i like this one better mm -hmm. than this and in a year's time i'll look back and say what the hell was i thinking it's dated awfully because well, of course it has. That's yeah. the point of anything that is a 50th anniversary celebration. By the time you get to the next anniversary, there's all this extra stuff. But yes. That's actually not a bad idea, especially because Jonathan hasn't watched any Doctor Who. So mm. like, maybe if I could get you and Kevin, like Kevin Vahey on. Oh, yeah. as Because mm. I, I know he's a he's quite the Whovian. So mm. that might be a that might be a two guest scenario where like you you two can pick up the slack so Jonathan can just be like, uh yeah, cool. TARDIS. I know what that mm. is. <laughs> okay, well, at the start of this session, I said to Greg that I would see how far I could get before I said wibbly wobbly timey wimey. So you made you know, it the whole the whole I time. made it the whole show. That was a <laughs> lot of restraint on my part. I legitimately almost I almost said that during Greg's intro. Like, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going to interrupt. <laughs> I'm not that cliche. <laughs> Mostly that cliche, but not yep. that cliche. Not quite that cliche. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, too. I will uh, let you get back to your respective uh, meal times, And I think it's about time for me to grab some lunch. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have enjoyed talking about it. But we will see you next week on another trip through the wind door. Take care. Honestly, the best part of what happens next is that after the outro music, we're literally going to be jumping around in time on the podcast as I share with you bits removed from all parts of the recording we did with Jesse. The subtext, as they say, has become text. A number of different movies were mentioned during our conversation that I could have pulled music from, but since I also try and pick music relevant to me, nothing was immediately getting my attention. And then I was looking at other time travel movies and music associated with them, and I realized I had the perfect option. Most people are not aware of this choice because it is not a pop hit, and was also one of those weird holdovers, as the band in question was moving from prog rock to a more pop sound, and it doesn't even have any lyrics on top of that. It does have a futuristic synthetic sound, and as soon as it showed up during a key moment in the movie Palm Springs, I immediately recognized it thanks to many third shifts wherein I listened to the Invisible Touch album. So until next time, this is Genesis with The Brazilian.
I didn't realize that we hadn't closed out yet. I thought we were uh, I thought we were just I thought this was the post show banter. Uh, I mean, we were winding up to it, but it's perfectly okay. (laughs) I mean, some of this will be regular content. Some of this might actually show up as outtakes. We'll see how it it's it's part of the editing magic. This is the trap. You never know when you're on the air. You're always on the air. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always listening. (laughs) And on that sobering note. (laughs) Yeah, exactly so. All right, I'm going to open up OBS then. Give me one minute or five. <laughs> this, is, this is the time travel interview. You can take as many in minutes as you want. Right. And it'll happen instantly. Yes, exactly. I got my protein shake breakfast and my lovely and my coffee. <laughs> mm. I'm the only one that's not going to this caffeinated, but then again, I've also we, been. We need a designated podcaster, else. Greg. You know, you're you're doing fine. <laughs> designated podcaster implies that I would be drinking alcohol, or should, no, implies that you two would be drinking alcohol and I mm-hmm. would be staying sober. Yeah, um, you're just gonna, you're here to maintain our jitteriness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm going for like if I'm watching films, it's at home for the foreseeable future, and especially over the next two weeks because two weeks today I will be getting married, so I'm just trying yeah. to wow. like just kind of reduce my chances of having to isolate as much as possible. Just like no, no, get get back, yeah. well, get back. Um, Congratulations, that's awesome. Thank you, thank you. I'm uh, honestly <clears throat> shocked that your head isn't spinning around on your torso right now. Oh, it is. I've just like I've just rigged this like camera setup to you know. He's actually just in a spinning room. <laughs> exactly. I just I, this like this background is attached to the chair, so you know mm-hmm. it all stays the same. <laughs> well, actually, the story primarily takes place in the District of Columbia. Oh God, no! I'm not using that. It just sounded like fucking Trump. He's starting the barbecue. <laughs> Cuz it's getting to be lunchtime here. You have barbecue for lunch. That's Well, it. it's that's not actually what is happening. We uh we we went to Costco last night and got ribs. So he we're we're going to put it on the on the grill and we're going to do that. He's going to set that up for 2 or 3 hours and uh it's going to be delicious tonight. Uh, I'm oh, so, so excited. So, so uh, some good slow cooked ribs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't had Costco ribs before, but I've heard <clears throat> that they're good. And yeah, exactly. So no, I did not going to get in the way of that for you. They have this really, really great seasoning. And if you cook them for a long time and they just kind of fall off the bone, it's <laughs> amazing. My wife has no palate for spicy food whatsoever. Mm. I can eat something that I don't even detect any spiciness to and then i can give it i can offer some to her and she'll be like nope nope that's too spicy (laughs) um and these ribs are spicy they're like they're a little spicy Mm -hmm. like there's nothing Mm -hmm. that we can't handle but they're a little spicy where if it was any other food Mm -hmm. she would like take a bite and be like no i'm i'm not doing that but they she powers through it because they're so good i'm gonna deal with the fact that my mouth is on fire right now. That's testament. That's testament. <laughs> because these the are delicious. <laughs> Sarah, uh, my fiance, is yep. uh, has a similar thing though. I'm I'm glad that uh, again testament to the quality of the flavor that there's a few curries and things that I'll make that she has like will ask for seconds of because <laughs> of that. So, but the thing that I amazes me is that her perception of like bitter tastes she has such a sensitive palate to that so she loves making coffee but she cannot drink it it's just too Mm. intense and i kept thinking okay well i'll try different things like okay let's add some like milk and uh no that's too much like okay well what if i did mostly sort of like milk and a half a shot of coffee it's like no that's too much like okay at this point i am putting a drop in like this is the (laughs) dregs of it this is mainly a just hot milk with some like 
sweet syrup and a tiny drop of coffee. And so, no, no, that's too bitter. And I'm just like, really? That is an incredible (laughs) way that. Yeah. That's that's one of those things where it's like that's not that you can't handle it. you are tasting it too much and I mm-hmm. think that that is amazing when that happens. <laughs> and that was our new cooking segment cooking with Toby and Jesse on through the window. Right. <laughs> we have a we have a rule cooking here. for sensitive palates. <laughs> <laughs> we have a rule here on through the window. We have to come up with a new segment each episode. <laughs> no, really <laughs> not. It, it only it only popped up most recently, but I was specifically doing a um, an OSP homage there. The episode that she did on Stranger in a Strange Land to bring up Heinlein again, mm-hmm. and she would have these moments where she would make fun of Heinlein's personal philosophical beliefs by mm-hmm. doing. It's time for more deep thoughts with Heinlein and everything. <laughs> so, so I just like I was enjoying hearkening to that kind of uh, yeah. element there. Ooh. Now I can finally get up from my chair and find out what the heck is talking in the next room because I'm the only one in this house. And I, I think that I think that my dad's echo device turned on again. Oh, no. Like they're like they're using mm-hmm. it in Booth Bay Harbor or something like that, and it's activated all the way out here. I'm hoping <laughs> that it hasn't picked too much up on my microphone. Uh, we haven't heard anything, so I, haven't I heard have anything. to assume yeah. that's the case. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Yeah!